Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Demand side flexibility across Europe is growing. It's multidimensional from residential to commercial and industrial customers, kilowatts to kilowatt hours from networks to electricity markets, to name just a few dimensions. And today we're focusing in in particular on residential scale demand response. Today we're looking in particular at the nitty gritty issues of standards and interoperability. Some may view these topics as a little dry, maybe even boring. I don't think they are, but I can understand why some people may see that way. But they're absolutely critical issues uh, in hoping to open up and facilitate the huge opportunity that residential demand response can bring. So to bring this topic to life, I've got three great guests. Let's say hello. My first guest is Adrian Van Eck from the Flexibility Alliance Network based in the Netherlands. Hello, Adrian. Good morning. Morning. Um, Adrian, to start with, can you give me a very brief summary of the Flexible Alliance Network, or FAN for short? Yes, it's basically, uh, actually, it's a Flexible Power Alliance Network. So the Flexible Power part will speak for itself. We are a Dutch association, mainly Dutch, but we are focusing, everything we do is European focused, uh, that wants to help the society unlock energy flexibility in a better way. Uh, we focus on standards uh, because we think that standards and cooperation between various standards is necessary to unlock flexibility in an affordable way. Okay, well, let's look at one of those standards, the energy flexibility interface that you've developed. In a yes. nutshell, what is this and what problem is it trying to solve? So uh, the energy flexibility interface, we started like eight years ago, and uh, we are now in European efforts to standardize it via Senelec, where it is called S2 interface. Mm -hmm. And it really focuses on going towards um, controlling devices and energy flows via customer energy management in the home or in the premises towards the resource manager which is the device itself as in a heat pump charging station or an ev or maybe even the fridge so, so is it enabling these products to talk to each other or to talk to the outside world or to interact with each other how would you describe it yes so basically the whole uh, av has been developed with energy it's called energy flexibility interface so built for energy flexibility not for a lot of other smart things you want to do with digital not about maintenance yep. and all that stuff sure. really energy flexibility and uh, it's a messaging messaging system where we uh, can can uh, talk to the devices the resource manager the heat pump and stuff to ask the heat pump to go faster to consume more energy or in a battery to uh, deliver energy towards the grid uh, or at a certain moment, at a certain level, modulate. Okay. Okay, we'll come back to that shortly. Uh, let's introduce my other two guests first. So my second guest is Nina Klein from the UK Government Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. A nice snappy name for those of you that haven't heard it before. Hello, Nina. Hello, hi, thanks very much for having us, John. Thanks for joining. Um, 
Now, Nina, the UK government's, uh, I think, particularly keen to capture the benefits from residential scale flexibility. And you're working on a, a standard in that area. Can you give us a summary of what the standard is and the problem that it's trying to solve or, or address? Yeah, so Bayes, as it is known, is essentially the UK Department for Energy. That's kind of one of the ways to think of it. And we're funding uh, the UK standards body, the British Standards Institution, to develop these technical standards. And basically, it's a technical standard that means you can build and operate energy smart appliances, so smart washing machines, smart heat pumps, uh, smart domestic batteries and smart EV charge points. Again, it's very much focused on that energy flexibility. And what these standards can do is provide a standardized way for these appliances to deliver those flexibility services. So maybe that's frequency response to help keep national grid balancing supply and demand nicely, or maybe it's kind of um, flexibility to help relieve a local constraint in the distribution network. Okay, so could you think of it as that standard making it easier and more straightforward for people needing flexibility, like a distribution network, to access that flexibility in the home? Yeah, absolutely. So it provides a kind of common interface to make sure that those flexibility services can be interoperable across different devices. And first of all, as you mentioned, that benefits the grid operators to be able to call that flexibility often through a kind of an aggregator or a flexibility service provider. Mm -hmm. By having that standardized interface, they can reach many more devices. But also at the moment, a lot of proprietary protocols are being used and so consumers are being locked into a service provider, whereas here by standardizing that and having an interoperable interface, consumers can have free choice of which service provider they'd like to offer that flexibility to the grid. So I think that's a key problem that it solves as well. Okay, thanks Nina. We'll come back to you shortly as well. Uh, after introducing my third guest, uh, my colleague and Delta EE expert, Lucy Murley. Hello Lucy. Hi John. Lucy, can you help us just step back a bit and look at the opportunity for residential scale flexibility? So if we looked at all the demand response capacity across Europe today, roughly what proportion of that would be residential? That's a very good question, John. So to start with the big numbers, largely across Europe for demand side flexibility, we're looking at about 20 gigawatts. Of that so 20, 20 gigawatts that's being used today, by yes. aggregators and others yep. for free. Yep. So that's complete monetized assets is 20 gigawatts. Yep. Of that monetized assets, 1.5 is being monetized at a residential scale. Okay. So it is a smaller number, but the, the story isn't over. There's a huge untapped market for residential assets. And how, um, how sort of huge <laughs> is it? 20 gigawatts <laughs> like the, the size of the market or bigger or smaller? I mean, the really big number is 200 gigawatts. So that's wow. the installed capacity of residential assets. That's not to say these assets are interoperable or connected, but they are yeah. installed in people's homes across Europe. So that's the things like electric heating, batteries, yeah. EV chargers. And I guess electric yeah. heating will comprise the majority of that today if we're looking at what's in homes today. So from installed capacity, 100% right. It is primarily yeah. the heating appliances. If we're to look yeah. at the, the amount that's being connected or has the potential to provide flexibility, the number's mm -hmm. a lot smaller. It's about five gigawatts. And yeah. of that five, most is EVs, electric vehicles or batteries. Approximately half of all installed batteries and EVs are connectable. Mm 
So they have like mm. Wi-Fi um, enable assets and things like that. Whereas if you look at the heating appliances, it's more like 1% to give yeah. you an idea okay. of like the asset range. So a huge opportunity, but a lot of what's installed today is very hard to get to because it's not connected. Completely. Of course, we're going to see a lot more going in uh, in the next years, in the next decade with electrification of transport and heat and more batteries. So there's a, a yeah, undoubtedly a huge prize out there. I think John, may I add one, one thing? Yeah, sure. Um, from the research we did with you, for instance, mm -hmm. for heating, uh, even if we see that even a lot of, let's say, heat pumps do have some connectivity features, but the, 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 the technologies are so scattered and the protocols are so, they are so different that we have decided that we could not call that really ready for flex because it's yeah. very hard to connect it. Yeah. One last remark. Yeah, Nina, that comes back to your point about proprietary and very difficult to switch providers. Uh, you might be locked in. Now, I think that's a really clear scene setting as to why standards will be important in this area. Huge opportunity, a lot of things not connected and where they are proprietary uh, protocols. So one thing I'd like to do is, uh, Nina and Adrian, the two standards you're working on, are they the same things? Are they different things? How do they fit with each other? Do they fit with each other? Uh, Nina, would you like to start us off on it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I was very excited to come on with Adrian today to kind of pick that apart and find out in a bit more detail exactly, because um, we are trying to be very careful. There's a lot of standards in this space. It's a very exciting area to be working in, which has its benefits because there's lots to choose from, but also its downsides because mm -hmm. you've got to be very careful. You aren't kind of uh, doing a bad job of integrating but I think we're doing a very good job of integrating here and we're kind of working on two pieces of the same jigsaw puzzle that should fit together quite nicely um so I think Adrian's area as he said is kind of focusing on communicating that flexibility information in the home and using it to help control and operate devices in the home and I think we have the framework for that in our standard but we don't say exactly how that should be done because we were aware of the work Adrian was doing and yeah. as well how it links into the international standards in that area but we said oh we see a gap here of how that flexibility information gets communicated in an interoperable way outside the house to these flexibility service providers who can then use these assets for flexibly to help support having more renewable energy in the grid or managing these constraints. And so we can define uh, in our PAS standards that interoperable interface to communicate all that wonderful flexibility outside the house to help support that transition of the energy system. Does okay, that seem so you've got, fair? Yeah, an inside, and I'll oversimplify this, I'm sure, but an outside to the house is what you're working on. And then Adrian, you're focusing on taking that signals and how they actually get applied inside the house. Yes, what we basically tell the market is, hey, you figure it out. Do you want me yeah. to consume? Do you want me to regenerate and feed in? And how much? Tell me when and where and how much. And then we, I will arrange it. That's basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. I think that's a really. It's helped me. I hope it's helped all our listeners understand how the the two fit together. Um, now, when you're developing these standards, what sort of things do you have to consider? Nina, I know you've got four points that, that you're looking at in particular. So let's start with your sort of four areas of the, um, that you're looking at. 
Yeah, so the standards that we funded with the British Standards Institution were developed with four kind of very specific principles that we wanted them to achieve. So we believe that a good vision for domestic flexibility was for it to be interoperable, for it to have good data privacy, for it to ensure grid stability, and also for it to deliver cybersecurity. Um, I can go into a little more detail on each of those to give a bit of a picture to the listeners what we mean when we say these things, if that's helpful. Uh, let's pick the interoperability one because I think that's a really interesting point about are you locked in? If I buy an EV charger from company X, am I always locked into a particular service provider for the flexibility that I could offer? Exactly. And that's definitely one of the things that we kind of saw happening and saw this opportunity for standards to come in there. So I think interoperability is about exactly as you say, when you go and you buy an EV charger, making sure that you can offer that flexibility across different demand side response service providers. And that's particularly enabled by using open communications protocols. And so in the PaaS standard that BSI are developing, we define a minimum common interface and we say these are the minimum functionalities that that interface has to deliver and all of the interface and all of the devices must be able to deliver that over the interface so we define very carefully only a minimum because we know there are some exciting bonus features which providers mm. may want to offer and then that's why you might want to sell your flexibility to them because there's some good bonus features but at a very fundamental level they have to be able to communicate the basics of energy flexibility to help offer those services to the which consumers are paid for offering, by the way. Um, so by having that common interface with a basic functionality, all of these devices can be operated from those flexibility providers and also consumers able to switch between flexibility providers with their device. Okay, and you're not, uh, are you, if I interpret that right, you're focusing on what needs to be communicated. What about how it's communicated or the language? Yeah, so we do a bit of both um, and we're in a, in, we're at an exciting place in the level of development of the standards where I think we've got quite a clear picture of what needs to be communicated. So what mm. that flexibility information is and exactly how it's going to be communicated is a little bit still open. There are three mm. protocols which we think could be spoken as it were, across that interface. So one is the open ADR protocol, one is an EE bus protocol, which is very similar to Adrian's, and a third one is a protocol by an organization called DLMS, and it's the COSIM protocol. These won't mean anything to most of your listeners, but there's three ways you could speak this information. And at the moment, industry is having a think about which one they would most like to use. And maybe they'll say all three, and that's fine. As long yeah. as everyone knows what we're doing, everyone can participate. Okay, well, let's see if we've got time to come back to cybersecurity, data privacy, and grid stability, the other three points. Adrian, I'd like to come back to you now, and particularly around these uh, protocols or the what's communicated and the language through which it's communicated, and how what you're doing, uh, tell us a bit about what you're doing with those protocols and how that might fit with what Nina just described. Yes, so I'll try to skip all the technical details also because uh, it would go way too far. I'll, so, I'll let you know uh, if you're getting too technical, don't worry. Yeah. So what we're talking about is uh, um, when the market decides how much energy needs to be consumed or regenerated or feed in, feed, hmm. fed in, um, it, in our vision, it talks to our central energy manager, which represents basically the energy consumer. So you in the house, 
with your EV and your heat pump, it knows what you have in home. Uh, at a certain moment, there is an incentive or a message from, let's say, Nina system towards the CEM and says, hey, from 10 to 11, I want you to consume uh, so much kilowatt hours. And then the C, uh, our CEM is, it's a, it is a data model that can send those messages towards the heat pump and the EV and the dishwasher and say, okay, you stop, you pause for an hour or you consume, you charge two kilowatts into the battery of the car. Hmm. Um, and that's a, it's a data model or a message model. And uh, the only thing we then need is a communication layer, but that would, could, could be KNX, for instance, or REST API, what you use to send the message actually to the device. And what you then would need is your central energy manager would need to understand S2, our interface, and of course, the heat pump and the charge station would also need to understand and interpret these S2 messages. And that's what we are working on. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So, yes. uh, there's a lot of activity, and I've been looking and researching and analyzing smart home activity, for example, for for many many years, and the issue of uh, Wi-Fi against Zigbee, or there, there's so many competing <laughs> protocols and standards. Um, yes. So I'm really interested from both of you and Lucy observations from looking across Europe, how hard is it to align people around standards and protocols in the way you've described when there is, it's still very early. So there's a lot of competition, people with strong views as to one or the other. Um, yeah, how, what's your experience been? Nina, maybe start with you and then, then Adrian and Lucy. Yeah, sure. I thought this was a really good question to ask because we've definitely seen that as part of this standard development process. And I think we're in a great position to have so many standards to choose from, but that also makes it quite hard to keep track, uh, let yeah. alone kind of decide which one you want to use by understanding each of them in enough detail. Um, and I think, as you say, it is quite early data. So there are a lot of proprietary standards at the moment. And I think we do need to start to see that shift to agreeing common international standards. And I think really to get that, what we need is we need for industry to see the benefits of shifting to a new international standard. And I think the benefits are that they can mod market their products and their services to a global market if they're using an international standard, and also that they can seamlessly integrate their goods with this global supply chain. So I think although it might be a change for them away from a proprietary protocol, I think they have to see the benefits of going into this international standardized market. And I think there's a kind of a little phrase that I just keep thinking to myself, which is, I don't know if you've heard the saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And I think no, we've gone quite fast. It. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've gone quite fast with these proprietary protocols, but I think now if we mm. want to go quite far, we probably need to start bringing them together. That's kind of my my little saying. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And how do you see the industry responding? Are there is there a chunk of people who want to go fast and alone, or do you see a shift in going far, but together and a bit more slowly? Yeah, I think that's why I said I think we need to keep being very clear and articulating what the benefits are to people. I think mm -hmm. people have been doing it their way for a little bit. And so I think 
I think we need to be clear on those benefits. And the BSI work has been really cross-sector. It's people from the energy sector, the built environment sector, the transport sector, people who are manufacturing devices. And I think in such a wide group, trying to find that consensus and encourage people was tricky, but we were helped uh -huh. because the British Standards Institute has a very particular definition for consensus, which is lack of sustained objection. So, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> as long as people don't object for long enough, that kind of counts as actually, broadly speaking, yeah. you've got everyone on board. But I think you have to do that very carefully. And I think that's about yeah. persuading people that this new common approach does still meet their needs, even if it's not exactly the way they're doing it today, it still meets yeah. their needs. And so that's incumbent upon you to make those arguments and put that evidence out really clearly for people so that they know they are safe in going forward to this new standard, which can unlock the global marketplace for them. Yeah. Okay, I, I like that definition of consensus. I think they're going to use that uh, from time to time. Adrian, how's consensus? <laughs> how's consensus going with with your work and trying to align people together? Um, yeah, well, about the the, the the protocol thing, I think it's uh, it sometimes seems overwhelming, but I have to say that in general, uh, there's no one size fits all. So a Wi-Fi or internet protocol can really be helpful because you can run stuff in the cloud. Whereas ZigBee and Z-Wave, for instance, they are much more stronger in the house. So it's not like a choice between one of them. It's really the mix of stuff mm -hmm. that creates the power of the system. And what we do, uh, of course, uh, um, what we do, we try to, uh, as, as, as an association, we try to tell either governments or manufacturers like, hey, if you're trying to lock in your customer, it seems to be a good strategical approach for the short term. But mm. uh, what we really try to convince the market too that if you're not open, then people will not choose your product because it's not connected. People don't want everything from one brand, not always. Yeah. And, on, and we try to uh, do some nudging or influencing in, in governmental bodies to see if they can be, um, uh, if, if they if they would try to enforce uh, certain standards or a set of standards where we know like, okay, we don't enforce one standard, but here you got a couple of approach, pick mm. your favorite flavor, but don't just create another exotic um, uh, standard or approach that, could, that cannot connect to uh, the other systems that are around. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, okay. to, to have one thing, so first, one of our approaches is that we prefer not to have individual devices to be controlled from uh, external. So no DSO controls an individual device, it, it, it talks to our central energy manager, and yeah. then the device is controlled. So we don't, in our view, we don't send signals, price signals to end devices. We send prices, we send uh, preference to the market. The market creates, sets the price and the preference, and it just talks back to us like, hey, postpone mm -hmm. your energy consumption or mm -hmm. discharge your battery. That's really I, in essence of our system. So I imagine it must be frustrating at times doing your jobs because you're trying to herd people together and get them moving in the same direction. Um, Lucy, where else in Europe do we see a lot of activity around this in this area? We've talked about UK and Netherlands, and Adrian, I know your work's bigger than the Netherlands. Uh, but uh, Lucy, what's what have you seen as other hotspots? 
I think the, the key one that springs to mind is Germany and it's the e-bus that Nina mentioned a couple mm. of minutes ago. It's it's as part of this discussions about openness and publicly availableness, for want of a better phrase, of protocols. And that's what e-bus does. It's sort of a, a standard messaging to allow one asset to communicate mm. to another. I think that's it's gaining a lot of traction at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then sort of basing on what Adrian said a couple of minutes ago as well about heat pumps. Germany's got a smart grid ready standard for heat pumps, which where it's not the most technologically advanced or the most intelligent standard because the commands are relatively simple, they're turn up, turn down. I think it's it's a step in the right direction in highlighting sort of the value of demand side flexibility on a residential scale. It might not be perfect yet, and there are steps to improve it and become more interoperable and mm. access those harder to reach value streams. But it's it's a step in the in the positive direction of enabling this flexibility, which is at the end of the day what these protocols and standards are aiming to do at the residential and, scale. And a good example, I think, of an industry, the heat pump industry in Germany, coming together around the smart grid yeah. ready standard. Um, so yeah. I just jump Nina, in very quickly yeah. on you mentioned hard to reach value streams. And I think that was something we really tried to take on board when we were working on this PAS standard, because some of the demand side response services that are, require very fast response yeah. times are often the ones that are the highest value. And so yeah. we tried very carefully to make sure we were constructing a technical framework that allowed one single command to be sent and that to initiate a power response. If you're doing kind of lots and lots of negotiating back and forth, you're never going to get these kind of two second response times that you need for frequency response. And that's a very high value service. So the architecture we created was very cognizant of the real world value of these things, because if we don't have them rolled out, we aren't going to get to our net zero grids. So yeah, it's a really important point. So making sure that you've got everything from kilowatt hour, half hourly ahead response through to kilowatt two second responses Nina exactly yeah um I wanted to ask uh you about challenges for the next years in terms of where you're at and where you want to be but let's turn that into our or incorporate that in our crystal ball question as time is getting the better of us so uh bringing out the talking new energy crystal ball I have to put it beside me on the desk I can't show it on camera yet I'm afraid um Let's set the dial to 2025, and here's the question. So if we're looking at, in 2025, newly installed batteries, EV chargers, electric heating, so that assets are being installed in 2025, what proportion will be easily accessible through, for example, your standards, by different service providers for those different types of demand side response. Uh, so what proportion of new assets will be easily accessible? And Adrian and Nina, you might want to build in a very simple why or what's the biggest challenge in getting there as well. Um, Nina, let, let's start with you. Yeah, so I was thinking about um challenges and progress and I think so the standards will be published in early 2021 to put that in the context of our crystal ball mm -hmm. um, and despite them being published then there's a lot of appetite for more standardization in kind of other areas more in that home side that Adrian's working in but I'm as well as more standardization I'm really excited for actually having real devices built to the standards we've already got published and so I think this is a really pertinent question of 
yes, it's great to be doing all this standards work, but when are we going to get to the real deal? So I like the, it's a, it's a very good crystal ball. And I think kind of, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, I hope in five years time for new assets is 100%. That's my hope given the climate change situation we're in. And then I thought and reflected and I think actually it's also my expectation. I think that is possible to be at 100%. And I think that comes partially from seeing the standards work happening. But also I think as I'm kind of working in government, interoperability is a key policy principle. And at Mm. the moment, we're funding these standards because there's an intention to set that requirement in regulation. Soon, there are final proposals to come out, but I think government is kind of setting the standard and putting the leader, like these are outcomes we want to be seeing. And so I think hopefully the market will be there to deliver them. So yeah, there's a lot of analysis saying we need to be very getting to get net zero. We've got to be doing a lot of things pretty quick. And I think government is showing real desire for this to be brought forward. The biggest single challenge to achieving that 100% in the next years? Yeah, I think the biggest single challenge is getting all these different areas to first of all speak the same language and then to agree that they want the same things. I think it would be very easy to write a standard with five different annexes for each of the five ways people are doing it now. And I think the real challenge is showing true leadership and pulling the common threads from those five ways into one common way that everyone can get behind and agree on. Okay, thanks, Nina. Uh, Adrian, are you going with a hundred percent as well? What, what's your What's your view? Yeah, I, I mean, I love Nina's ambition, um, and that's also what I read from the, all the past documents. It's it, it radiates ambition, and that's very good. Uh, on the other hand, of course, here it goes. I'm also a practical person, and I think <laughs> I, I would say if we reach eighty percent, uh, I think that's already. Very good. Of course, this is a glass ball. Uh, you know, there was always somebody who offers a very cheap product, or that indeed offers a charging station with a Wi-Fi plug, but it, you know, it's crappy or so. So, in general, if I, you know, I, I've worked with one of the biggest European thermostats for a couple of years, and you know, it's it's technology is not it's always hard. On the other hand, mm-hmm. I totally, totally, totally agree with Nina. Um, we we believe and we see that in the sustainability effort and the Paris 20, uh, blah, 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 uh, you know, um, there's a lot of inefficiency in the system and there is a big driver towards e-heating and e-transportation and a lot of other e's. So we need it. People, the acceptance level of people is rising. People understand like, okay, we have a smart world and we, if we can get rid of a lot of inefficiencies, then we don't lose a lot of uh, welfare or how do you say it in English? Uh, you know, we can keep our economical yeah. level. Yeah. At base, so that's both drivers, and I think one key thing that we need to do, we as yeah, well Delta, but also uh, Nina and all the, the the governmental bodies or the standardized bodies, and I think we're getting there slowly or too slowly maybe, is that we we tell all the manufacturers that they will need uh, that there is no business model in the lock-in, you know, make your stuff compatible because we as a system need it. Uh, the acceptance of the general public, if you if you create another exception, gets lower. People don't want it anymore, and there is no business model in it. You're out of business if you're not compatible in five years. That's yeah. that's the message I would like to push harder towards the manufacturers yeah. or the or the energy as a service business people. In, in terms of phrases, one that stuck with me that I heard is "open always wins." 
rather than closed, but it takes time sometimes for open to wins, win. So uh, if to summarize, Adrian, if it's not 100%, it's close to 100%, there may be a few outliers. Um, yes. Lucy, how about you? Are you uh, How optimistic are you? Are you with Nina, with Adrian, or a bit, uh, see it as a bigger challenge? I think I'm with Nina on the 100%. I'd like to think that come 2025, 100% of the newly installed assets will have a level of connectivity of some standard. I'm yeah. not 100% certain on what standard that will be. Yeah. I'm maybe slightly more skeptical on whether it will be monetized. I think there'll be a huge potential for it to be monetized, um, but it's, it's up to sort of the service providers, the end customers, the mm. business models as to how to entice customers to use this flexibility that they will have the option to use. Yeah. It's just that that next level of it's all connected, it's all interoperable, but now just just monetize it, please. Yeah, and that's something I listeners will have heard me talk a lot about is customer centricity and these two-sided business models or providing value to the electricity system, to the energy system. On the other hand, having a compelling customer proposition that customers will, will bite your hands off for. So I think that's a nice optimistic note we're finishing on. Uh, not not easy, but it's been, yeah, I don't think the standards discussion is, is dry at all. I think it's pretty exciting. <laughs> Uh, Lucy, Nina and Adrian, I think you've done a brilliant job at bringing that to life. So thanks very much. It's a critical part of the equation to, in the energy transition. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the discussion and learning more about this area. So thank you, Lucy, for joining us. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Nina. Thanks very much for having us. Really interesting. Great. And thanks very much, Adrian. Yeah, thank you very much for organizing this and the opportunity to share our visions and our solutions to help the sustainability. As always, thanks to everyone for listening and we look forward to welcoming you back uh, to our podcast next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.